Welcome to another edition of the Built for the Storm podcast. Hosted by three-time World Series champion Jeremy Affelt. Affelt brings it. Chopper on the infield. Affelt to the bag himself. Get ready to experience life's winding journey through the minds of proven leaders in the worlds of sports, business, and entertainment. And he strikes out. That's four straight for Affel. Can't do it any better than Jeremy Affel. As they draw up your own personal playbook to overcoming the odds and achieving real success. We just don't give up. We don't quit. You know how we pieced everything together, man. Seeing teams win like this, the way we win. What's the best way to weather a storm? Run into it head on, charging full steam ahead. This is unbelievable, you know, game seven. I mean, this will be a memory for a long time for me. I'm so happy I got to come to the park today. Here's the fearless leader of our pack, Jeremy Affeld. Welcome to Built for the Storm podcast. I'm Jeremy Affeld. I'm recording this at my brewery, Free Roam Brewery in Bernie, Texas. I get an amazing guest who I, if you breathe, you've heard the guy's voice. I mean, there's just, this guy has been everywhere. He's done anything between Olympics to Fox Sports to ESPN produce sit down talk shows, NASCAR, boxing. Like he's done everything. He's done it all. And uh, I've enjoyed listening and watching him over the years of my life. So I am actually super excited. And I get the pleasure of actually interviewing him and talking with him now as he's done to so many of us uh, over the years. So I get to have Chris Myers on. So welcome, Chris. Thank you so much for joining the show. I so appreciate uh, you taking the time to do this with us here at uh, Built for the Storm. Yeah, no, thanks for having me. I've, I've, I've enjoyed your athletic career and interviewing you, watching you and your teams and things that you've gone through. So it's kind of an interesting role here where you'll be interviewing me years, yeah. years later. But I, I look forward to it. This is a unique challenge. Heck yeah, man. This is great, man. I got rings, but you got Emmys. I see those uh, I see those uh, awards <laughs> was- back there. Yeah, so, I, always, I read that. I read that one for every Zoom or conversation. I put it up. I have to take it back. It's on, it's on a leash. No, that's yeah. awesome. That is awesome. That's great. No, man, you deserve all of that you've gotten, man. You've done a great job just depicting sport, whatever it is. And I've always, I've always thought about, you know, like for us, like I did, you know, I was doing some color stuff for the Giants for a while, some of it for YouTube, because MLB started doing YouTube live stuff. And I have a hard enough time with one sport keeping all these names and everything down for you guys to just pick all these sports and the different speeds. I mean, boxing has a speed of its own to NASCAR and baseball to sports center. And you're trying to do all these different sports. You know, you guys have a a very unique talent, uh, a very unbelievable talent. And I think one thing I learned was trying to do a little bit of what you guys do takes a lot of work and a very, very good sound mind on trying to dialogue with all of it. So I've appreciated your talent. I really have. I really wait. I really, well, really thank have. you. No, and you know, it really, uh, it, you could study and prepare in each, but it, it is relating to people. That's kind of, you know, when I got into it, that was my interest, the sense of curiosity. I love sports and the games and the winning and the losing. I was never a great athlete myself, but I admired that and how you relate to people and how that relates to the audience real quick. The, the Emmy was one of the, at ESPN, it was one of, one of my first, I don't know if you remember a picture named Tim Burke. Yeah, I did. played for the Expos and the Reds, and that was one of my early assignments. Was I was covering the All Star Game in Anaheim, and where Bo Jackson hit the home run, and they yeah. said, "Hey, you know, we have a unique story, Chris. It's a little out there for sports, but uh, it's him and his wife. You know, they they can't you know, biologically have their own child, but they're going to. They've been waiting to adopt a child, and they they finally got the rights, and and they have to go to this area in Guatemala. They both have to be there to sign, and his wife is already on the way, but there's a deadline." 
midnight tonight, and and Tim Burke has to sign it. He's he's an all. He made his first All Star game. He's in this game, and it's uh, like whoa. So uh, and, uh, they, we want you to follow him to the jungles of Guatemala. Oh, uh, wow. If he decides to go and was, yeah, they, they let him pitch early. I think the sort of was the manager. He let him pitch early in the game so he could get on a plane before the game ended and meet his flight. So we get on a, on a plane and, and land. And this was obviously years ago in the jungle. And we, we race through there's iguanas. It's just like what a jungle. And we, we get there in time where he's, he's with the wife and, and we capture, he allows us, which was a little invasive, but yeah, because sure. it was such a cool story, he knew we were going along. And we captured his first seeing of the child he and his wife were adopting and the, the tears and the emotion. But then get this, they sign the papers, they get the kid, the wife, they fly back to the expos at the time. He was pitching for them, we're at a pennant race, so they land in Cincinnati during a game and it's a close game. Buck Rogers, the manager, that we rush to the, his, his wife takes the, the baby, we rush to the ballpark. He gets there in the sixth inning, some dresses, he comes in the ninth and saves the game for oh. Montreal contending <laughs> and, his, and his manager, it sounds yeah. like you with Buffalo, but yeah. his managers, his manager says, but as they're leaving the field and we get the camera, this all, but you couldn't script this. He yeah. says, boy, that was really, uh, because that's your second best save of, of the, of the day, uh, you know, after saving the, to, to yeah. get his first yeah, job. Yeah. Anyway, it was one of those things you can't write. But my point is that doing sports, as you said, a lot of different sports, the end of the day, it really is about people. You know, you, you get the guy out in the pressure situation. What was going? Yeah, there's the mechanics. We see that. But how did you have to be mentally tough? What were you? You know, we asked that question. What were you thinking? Yeah. We want to know, you know, if there's a way to explain it. Yeah, and I think that's what you guys always have done. The good ones. I mean, you've had some, be honest with you, there's been some bad ones uh, out there in, in your <laughs> yeah. industry. But, yeah. you know, the good ones, you guys have done that. I think you guys, what what, what we respect as, as athletes is that you guys care about the human side of us. Like we're not robots. TV depicts us out there. Like we should go out there and it looks just as easy as that. Right. Burks in Guatemala flies in, saves yeah. game, go home. Ah, yeah. no big deal. Super easy. It's hey. not that easy. And, <laughs> and, yeah. and he had to be mentally super tough to deal with all of that. All-star game to Guatemala to save in a game in the pennant race on top. And I guarantee you his manager and his owners and his GM were all like, we're in a pennant race and this dude's going, going to Guatemala, like yeah. some of their panic. Right. Like, right. and right. so I think, I think that's what you guys did really well. Cause at the end of the day, you're right. We are humans and we gravitate towards you guys that treat us that way and want to know our mentality, our focus, the guy that comes in and you've heard him after a, I blow a game, give up three on Homer. Yeah. And he goes, Hey, so what were you thinking? Yeah. What? You want to know what I was? I wasn't thinking good thoughts. I mean, what do you mean? Like, what were you thinking? Like, was, yeah, thinking pretty I'm upset. To get him out. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and did you, so? Looking, what were you feeling yeah. on that pitch? Was it a good pitch? You think that was a good pitch? It went seven hundred feet. Why do you like some of those questions that people ask? Like, that those are the guys that we're trying to avoid. But your guys' questions yeah, you have a little to, bit. Yeah, and you try. You know, you want some, but some guys need their space, and we we all do in those moments where it, it doesn't work out. So as as best you can express yourself, and, and obviously the immediacy. But the fortunate thing, and I never wanted to go that route. You know, the negativity sells, right? It's easy yep. to sit right. there and boo somebody and root against somebody. And look, I understand fans; they root for certain guys, and they have their rival teams. But you're thinking of, you know, that's a father out there, that's somebody's son out there, that's somebody's yeah. brother out there. That and, and of course he's trying. I tell, there are different stories. You know, and we've 
covered athletes for the years that didn't do the right kinds of things. And so you, sure. you have to tell it like it is. So if the story is negative, but on a format of the game, the winning and the losing and the effort, when you see that it's there, I, you really have to be respectful of both sides. You know, it is it is how you play the game. Ultimately, you know, you, you win your bet or you're you're paid for winning more than, than losing. But but I think, again, not to overthink, but that that is the human element. And I think if you I think that's one of the reasons I've been able to stay in the business for as long as I have at different levels and in different kinds of sports, because. Uh, yeah, you call it like it is, and you do your homework, you prepare, but you react to the human element part of the game. And I think most people kind of can relate to that and, and, and want that and understand that. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I think that's why you've been given some of these assignments, too, because you have that uh, understanding. <laughs> yeah. I want to get to several of them because you've been a part of so many different sports, but also so many different tragic events, obviously, yeah. when it comes to sports. And, and for me, you know, NASCAR was not my gig. I did not watch it. I'm military brat. I flew all over the world with my dad. He was in the Air Force. And then we were always on the West Coast when we were in the States and more in the Northwest. So NASCAR really didn't gravitate up that high. But we all heard about the Dale Earnhardt situation. And I don't even know how you would continue to have the ability to go through. How would you report that seeing that live? Because you were on air when the wreck happened and he passed, but where does your head go like to keep going in that situation? Yeah, I think that yeah, we're, I was doing the NASCAR, the studio show work on the on-air play-by-play. I wasn't doing play-by-play for that event, but here, it, what magnifies this, I mean, any tragedy uh, would be upsetting, but this was a guy who, Dale Earnhardt, senior who he's almost like the, the Michael Jordan of NASCAR at the time, oh. right? The face of the sport, he's won all these championships. He's also a tough guy, tough guy image and a tough sport who's handled wrecks before, who's been through all kinds of uh, difficult challenges himself. And you're in their biggest race, the Super Bowl, the Daytona 500, our first year covering this. And and this kind of thing happened. So I think right away when he hit the wall, you know, usually it didn't look as difficult a crash as we've seen some other drivers in, in NASCAR go through. And we think, OK, he's seriously injured. Then there was a sense of reaction from other people that went got near the car where he was. Mm. I think that was the quickest signal that even before the ambulance or medics got there, that he was gone, that he had died. And so. I think the first thing is you're, you're, you're shocked. And I don't know at that moment, you don't think about, Oh, I'm on the air. I have to do it. You, you think, wow, this is, as I said, somebody, this is a loss of life. And, and, yeah. and not only as big a star, but I think for a moment, Jeremy, you reflect in your own world, you know, people who lost their dad or who lost a brother or lost a, a child that, that, that kind of hits you so that you can process it as a reality. And then NASCAR, they wanted to be sensitive to his family and those closer to him. So you couldn't just go on the air yeah. and say, hey, this is, I mean, even though you saw it and we knew what happened, they did want to take him to the hospital. They wanted to see if there was a chance medically. And again, we didn't know for sure, but you kind of, people in the business, other drivers, crew chiefs, mechanics who were around that, they kind of like, boy, this is not good. And so having, you know, you go from the happiness and the excitement of this race for coming down to the finish. And it was one of his race car teams that actually won the race. And so he, he, there's a you feel like you're already at a funeral is is, yeah. is the way I would describe it. Wow. And so you have yeah, so you naturally when I get the words eventually when we got it out there, were cleared to by NASCAR and you just had to be as simple as you could about it. And the, the and I, in that case, the shorter because people saw it, the shorter and and the more direct you were, but being sensitive was the way to do it. So I, I was overcut, you know, there's a lot of emotion there. I mean you can't yeah, there were tears. I mean there were guys that I mean grown men, tough guys that had worked with them that were part of our broadcast crew that were around that were were in tears they were a wreck i mean they couldn't go on the air 
And I didn't know him as well. I was someone who covered him a little bit, covering other sports, football, baseball, growing up. But then NASCAR, our first year that we had this broadcast, I think that's why I, maybe I, I was kind of the one that eventually had to just, you know, once everything was cleared and had a chance to pull myself together and accept it, that was the way I wanted to present it. Hey, we, you know, and I think the president of NASCAR at the time, Mike Helton, when we went to that news conference, he simply said, we've lost Dale Earnhardt. You know, that was his simple way. And then later would answer questions once there was a medical review and that type of thing. But yeah, that was a jolt. That that was something yeah. that you don't expect. I had had something similar before that years earlier as a reporter for a basketball tournament. Hank Gathers, a player for Lloyd Marymount, we were at the you know, at the this tournament game in Southern California, and and collapsed on the court. And they didn't know at the time uh. some heart ailment type thing. So we rushed to the medical center, and I had to go there. And they pronounced him dead at the medical center, but his family was there as well. They were told first, but I had to come out on ESPN. I think it was Chris Fowler, Chris Berman, and hook up live and kind of tell the audience standing on the on the steps of this uh, medical center in Marina Del Rey, California. You know, kind of tell everybody after the family was told with the doctor that that he this was a young a young person starting out his his life, and the yeah. question had to be asked. Uh, it was one of those difficult questions about what the doctor should a, a young player with this heart ailment have been playing basketball. And that yeah. was a story that would later unfold. But again, a little bit of that experience there, Jeremy, kind of helped me get through it. Even though it was a different situation, you go to an event to you know, watch basketball or call a, a race and a tragedy breaks out. I mean, the worst kind of tragedy that you could have. So you, you just react, trying to connect it to the audience, inform the audience, but also be sensitive to the situation. Yeah. And how did, um, were you able to kind of follow that family? Because you see how they kind of, his son kind of took over. And, and I think his uh, widow kind of did some more stuff too, right? Through, yes, absolutely. Time. Yeah, the Earnhardt family stayed very much involved. His his son had a very successful uh, racing career. Now he's, uh, Dale Earnhardt Jr. is doing broadcasting and he's really very good at it. And I think is relieved in a sense, maybe. Uh, he had to go and they, they took a week off and there was I mean, a, a tremendous funeral and memory of fans along with the sport. But that's the hardest part, too, is that you have to keep going. And that's what his son had to do. And it was a very difficult thing. And I, uh, so I think in a sense, years later, he's almost relieved to be around the sport, but not be racing in the sport. And, and the one thing, that, there's always sure. something that comes out of these things, Jeremy. And they had tried before to make the sport safe, but keep the action and the energy and the risk reward in auto racing and NASCAR. But this really forced a new uh, head and neck devices in the car so you don't suffer yeah. concussion. They put safer barriers at racetracks. So it really it forced and made everybody aware, even the, the tough guys, that, hey, we need to make this safer and still have it, you know, a thrill sport. And that's what really came out of that and has saved a lot of lives and injuries for drivers since. Yeah, I'm thankful you said that. I think that's one of the things that I've noticed in storms of all the guests that I've had on. And this is why I like having them on, because I'd like the audience to understand what it means to go through a storm. They're terrible. No one loves a storm, yeah. right? Right. But when the perspective we of what can I learn from a storm comes in, you end up kind of taking them on a little bit different. And sometimes yeah. you're going to have storms throughout your whole life, obviously. And so, <laughs> but what you said was important because I think not just in everybody's life, but I think in even sports or jobs when storms hit the job which in way nascar took a huge storm because he was like like you said he's the michael jordan at that time of nascar and yeah. so yeah. when that happens unfortunately it was a loss of life right but right. 
you don't always hope for that to make an adjustment. But like you said, it caused NASCAR to say, wait a minute, everything's evolving. So whether it be the style of the car, the speed of the car, and these guys are pushing the envelope every year right, and right. they're getting more intense. So everything's going to get worse. So I think that that's a huge thing that it does. Like look at football. These guys are getting faster and faster and faster. And they're 300 pounds running like freight trains hitting you. They had mm-hmm. to adjust on how you tackle because the CTE or, and all the head injuries. And yeah. you're looking at, hey, storms are going to come for a reason. And, and we all need to learn from them. Yeah. And I think that the football players uh, – drivers that you they know what they're signing up for they know what they're getting into yep. and, and and i respect that because we have the normal life storms but they're adding to the chances you know yeah, so, sure. it's like thrill seekers that may not be for me but if that's your choice you're aware of that i, I think that's the you're talking about you're right we try to avoid storms right that's part of we, we don't and nobody's going to go through life without a that's storm right. somewhere that's right and we reference and i think that was you know just philosophically for me a way in my life of covering sports and having gone through some things that you know i always thought if you played by the rules and you did the right things you know things are going to be okay there'll be little bumps along the road but there's major bumps there's big things that you don't see and when you were saying you know what we learn from something i i think at first and whatever you've gone through or other people watching this at the moment that's the last thing you think of is what can i learn from this right you're just trying to survive i mean you're trying to go wow what just happened here why you're trying to figure out what could i have done different how could i have prevented this and and there's the whole process and we're all different that way how we we deal whether it's a loss of a loved one or a relationship or a a job that you you know you you lose that you think you had or or you deserve and so then and and that time i think that's the hardest part is kind of being patient with yourself what happens in that time some people go south you know they drink heavily they get on drugs or they alienate people their own family and you've got to fight through that, st- that storm, as you talk yeah. about. I mean, let it hit you, let it pour on you, drip it on. And then after that amount of time, I think then you start to say, okay, I'm still here and we need help, obviously. That's I right. I got to do this. I, I got to do that. And whether it's in sports or or in your life, your personal life, uh, that's yeah. something I've observed. I've gone through myself. And I, it's good that you're doing this because I think we all have a story to tell and, and yeah. we all can survive with the right kind of help and eventually the right attitude. And, and it can make us a better person. You know, I always, you know, as I tried to believe things happen for reasons. There were moments there where I, I got to say, I, I've been tested or I've watched and go, well, well, there's no reason for this. But eventually you, you figure it out and you do the best you can. Yeah. And I think that's exactly it. I've noticed in storms for me, I had a huge family storm, obviously, that I went through. And for me, though, at the time, you're right. You're like, I don't see the point in this. I don't. Like, (laughs) I'm angry, you know? You're angry. Yeah, your anger's up there. And then the further you get through it, but the help, you know, I've been through a lot of therapy. And I I actually used to think therapy was for weak people. And I love it. I love being able it's to actually, process. Yeah, no, I think it's for it's it it's it helps people become stronger, and oh. I think everybody can use therapy. And a lot of people, you know, some people like being private about it. That's your choice, but absolutely, yep. I mean, life is therapy in a way, just like you have your storms in <laughs> yeah. life. And I wanted to talk about because you talk about that anger, and that's the first trigger too. You go through there's the shock, right? The sadness. There's all these. You can read books about the steps and the layers. Yeah. But the anger can almost get you. That's when you can do damage to yourself or other people, and whether yeah. it falls in revenge or just life's not fair. Well, can yeah. we know? You know, we know it's not fair. It's it's how we fit our world or fit ourselves into the world which we're not in charge of. But uh, yeah, it's it's a very challenging thing of getting through it and and. Uh, 
you know, I, I, I feel unfortunate, but you talked about therapy and help, but it can come in different forms. A oh, friend, yeah. a neighbor, uh, people reach out that you don't even know that say, hey, I've been through this. Let me just tell you how I did it. Maybe you can learn something from it or take something from it. And I think those are valuable things. Yeah, the herd, man. Buffaloes, I, I always relate. I relate <laughs> everything back. You got to herd. You got to have a herd. And they come in different shapes, yeah. sizes, moments. You never know. You know, even at the brewery, we have a thing called the herd, which is my people that order the beer monthly. We call them the herd, oh, man, because okay. you're a part of the community. And right. but that is that's what I'm all about. I'm all about community and, you know, sport for me. You know, I played, you know, obviously in a, in a sport where I had 25 guys and you have football with bazillion guys, you know, yeah. and then you have basketball and you have all these, but the team sport means so much to me. I know you've seen it because you've seen teams that when they're doing terrible, you walk into a clubhouse, there's no camaraderie at all. There's no, right. there's no right. community. The teams that are doing well for the most part have a community there are those outliers right where sometimes you just pay enough money and have the right guys on the field they can all hate each other and still win but right, right. that's an outlier Generally. yeah that's an yeah. outlier so for me community is super important you don't even need it to be right. advice i remember one of my buddies said hey man what do you need from me in this time i'm like what do you mean he's like well do you wow. need me to be the the scream guy like just call and you can just air me out because yeah. you're just mad right. at the world do you need me to be the encourager what do you need? The listener, the advice giver, you tell me what role you want me to be. And that's what I'll be. And I was like, I just need you to be a listener right now. And he's like, that's my yeah. role. And he never gave me advice. He just listened. And he said, I love well, you. I'm praying for you. You know, what a great, yeah. What a, what a great guy teammate that he thought to ask that, because I think if people ask that and they were, and he's obviously aware something's going on. Some people, yeah. they push too much advice on you at the wrong time. They don't listen. Yeah, it's funny you talk about a storm and how it comes. I, I remember covering the 2004 Red Sox team. They were down 0-3, remember, against the Yankees, yeah. the epic comeback. And around Terry Francona, Manny Ramirez, that great. And I, I was in that dugout after they were down 0-3, and it, it felt like, you know, it was over. I mean, I, you know, you talk about a team coming together. And my point is that sometimes it can seem bad, and one thing can trigger it, and then everybody comes together. And and that's what they, they rallied. And the, I think I even said something in a report, and, and I don't think Terry Francona – appreciated it um and, and may, who knows maybe it triggered them i just said boy it, it, it is a bad reference after what we talked about i said but it feels like a morgue in this you know this red sox uh, dugout sure. uh after 03 and they were and then they turned around won that game went out you know shocked the yankees won the world series broke through 04 was their first in, in, in you know decades and it was one of those turning moments but yeah. I, I remember reading about you know buddha is uh, the old expression of uh you know when the student is ready, the teacher will appear. Uh, and, and, that always, I like that. and so that's, that's great. And it, yeah, and it relates to when you're ready for help from the storm, whether it's a friend or a teammate or somebody, you have to be ready yourself because sometimes people are there, but you don't need them yet or you don't want them yet. You're not ready for them yet to have them help you turn your life around. That's right. Permission. I call it permission. I tell my yeah. boys, yeah. I was like, if you don't have permission to speak to somebody, you can talk to it till you're blue in the face. They will not receive anything. And that's one of the things I realize when people are having a hard time. I, even with my own sons, you know, I have a 15, 12 and a 10 year old. So I've got drama. I've got where my 10 year old thinks one thing's the complete end of the world. And it could be just the fact that he didn't get his ice cream Monday. You know, it's the end of the world for him. Yeah. You know, but then, you know, yeah. I got my 15 year old that he's playing football and he's a big kid. He's 6'5, 230. His end of the world is like 
the football decision, right? Like all these different things. And, and I said, you know, when you guys are having drama, even I will do it. If you're acting up in the house, I'll say, Hey man, do I have permission to talk to you? And if you say no, (laughs) then I say, okay, I'm not going to ground you, but why don't you go hang out in your room a little bit and calm down and I'll come back in in 20 minutes and I'll ask permission again. And you know what I've found? I have found crazy enough because a lot of the old school parents, like you don't have to ask permission to talk to your kid. No, you don't. But then you're always the one saying, why isn't my kids listen to me? Cause you don't have permission. They're not listening. And man, it has been so good just asking permission. And so whenever I see people, I always say, Hey, can I have permission to, to, to think, to tell you what I see? And if they say yes, you know, they're going to receive it. If they say no, then you're like, all right, man, cool. I'm, I'm, I'm just, I'm here for you whenever you're ready. And I feel like it was a lot better when you have permission, you know? Yeah. And I would think your kids and that's it after they think for 20 or 30, whatever they're about, they're almost like, I want to, I need to tell my part of the story. I need to express myself. You know, you can only isolate so long at any age, obviously they'll learn themselves things that are important for them. Yeah, I, I did want to go back to when you were talking about, you know, your team, your herd, that the importance of that, whether it's family or who you play with, you know, that's one thing, Jeremy, I noticed having interviewed, I mean, uh, just some of the, the greats from, you know, Montana, Reggie Jackson, and uh, people who've retired. And that's often the first thing they, they don't say, hey, I miss the money or, you know, yeah, the games, but I miss, you know, my teammates. I miss yeah. the, the, the camaraderie of that. That's their family through that stretch of their life. And you think about it, whether it's through high school, college or early years, and you have your, your own family, but you got to leave that family. And uh, a lot of them don't know how to express that along with, you know, maybe the rush and the thrill of the moment you can relate to that being on the mound in a critical situation. Joe Montana, I remember him saying, you know, this was years after his retirement. He said, I, I finally dealt with you know, missing my, my, my teammates and that kind of lifestyle. And he said, now I can't replace the rush of the game. You know, that drive at the end, I, and he tried breaking horses. He, I, I tried flying planes. I mean, he, he went all through all these things and nothing could. So he, so he had to kind of, and, and he was internalizing this and it was, it was creating a, a battle for him. Eventually he kind of worked through it overcame that storm that some of us can't yeah. relate to because we haven't been in that situation at that high level uh, before. But again, it was the people around him who eventually helped him work through that so he could enjoy his life post-football at that, you know, that championship level. Yeah, you know, I think that's, you know, we talked, I talked, I was at the uh, 2012 World Series reunion not too long ago in San Francisco and some of my teammates, we all kind of showed up and, you know, I think we laughed and we looked at each other and like, this is what I miss about the game. I mean, you, the second guys walked in, you called them by their nickname, whether it's good or bad, you know, you, you razzed them, you mess with them a little bit. And sometimes I think about it and I'm like, see, this is what I miss because I can't replicate that. Like if I razz somebody at the golf course at my club, you might not get a very good reaction because they don't know how to take it. You know, you try to find some sort of camaraderie, but you don't get the same Thing that a clubhouse gets you know yeah. and you, you know and so for me i like joe probably struggled the most with the lack of community you know for me yeah i try to replace yeah. the adrenaline rush with hunting right i'm a big hunter right. like i was up grizzly hunting in alaska i was <laughs> sitting in the on a boat for 10 days floating this river with grizzlies outside my tent seeing wolves and you're sleeping on the river and pretty much the house of a grizzly right where they're getting fish i wake up in the morning i can see one but i needed that i don't know how to replace coming into a game with fifty thousand people cheering or booing 
but the energy is still the energy, whether you cheer or boo and be a part of that fight or flight mentality. You can't replicate it once you do it. And so you need a community around you to let you know that it's okay to be different. It's okay that your identity is not in the game anymore. And we still think that you're a good person, regardless of of if you're pitching in the eighth inning with the game on the line or not pitching at all anymore. That's what people need to know is that my identity is not baseball. I have a lot going for me. And I've got to find it and I need that community to help me find it. Or I'm going to continue going down. Like you said, the anger, the bitterness, or just downhill, you turn to the wrong things, right? Alcohol, drugs, you know, just because you're trying to get a thrill, you're going broke doing that, you know, whatever. And I can only imagine for you, even like, I don't just take it as a, as an athlete. I think about the people that you've interviewed and these things that you've been around to not be part of that eventually i know you're still in it but that's got to be a fear right like that's got to be a fear to step away and and not necessarily a fear as in a weakness a fear of like i actually don't want to stop but i don't necessarily (laughs) want to think about stopping or sometimes i do think retirement could be awesome there are times we thought retirement is gonna be great and then after about a year you're like oh i see why guys come back Cause it's yeah. not so great, that, that, you know? Right. So, right. I mean, yeah. for you, I just spent, same thing. Yeah. yeah. I spent time with Tom Brady, who's at 45, putting <laughs> up the four best, weeks the later. Best numbers after... of the... yeah. yeah. But, yeah. but he, yeah. he's still very good at it. I mean, it's one oh. thing when your body as an athlete, that's what you go through. And I, you know, talk about me personally, I, because I, I really love sports people and this is the kind of business, the business has evolved in broadcasting, you know, from 24 hour channel sports channels for every sport, every team has their own broadcast crew. But that all wasn't there when I, when I started, there was only the 24 hour sports network with ESPN Fox sports has exploded into covering everything, putting on live events. But I think of Vince Scully who, you know, who recently uh, passed away. I obviously, I'm sure you would great talk man. to him. I had a pleasure yep. of, yes. And, and what a gentleman as a person uh, took time, whether you were a young reporter broadcaster in the beginning or you were of some hall of famer and and the same way that he called of course his mastery of calling a game and but to be on the job that long and the rareness of one you know the dodgers from brooklyn to la and then through the years and all and all that he saw but but he he liked it he was good at it and when he stepped away i mean he really did it wasn't like he didn't like baseball or broadcasting but he really it's kind of what you said he accepted that this it's a different phase of my life now and he had some things going on with his family and and that's everything that he wanted to spend time with. But that, that is a tough transition. I mean, guys, you know, you leave, you're used to what. And I think what happens, and I remember Jose Kutseka telling me this when he, in the later part of his career, he, he said, I, I lost control of myself in all this. He was a baseball player, but then he got caught up in running around with Madonna, or, you know, or yeah. being in commercials and, and the fame and what all the other things. And so, and so he, you know, he, uh, yeah, I'm a baseball player, but I think the point you're making is you, you have a purpose, you have an identity. You have a value beyond what you're doing, whether it's broadcasting, playing baseball, or a school teacher. And I think it goes back to layers of what you were talking about with who's around you. And you go through these phases, high school, college, you get married, kids, your early 20s, and as you grow, as you grow older. And I think all along the way, you, you, should, you can't lose yourself in whatever you're doing. It can be important. You can give your all and you can be your best because many of the athletes who, you know, you, you talk about a a Kobe Bryant who stayed after, you know, at the high point of his career, or Larry Bird, and they would stay after and shoot a hundred free throws or a hundred, you know, shots from the corner on their own. People go, what, you're the best there is right now. Why are you doing that? Because I want to, want to stay the best. I want to be the best, but yeah. that's okay too. But beyond all that, I remember talking to Kobe Bryant in his later years and 
nothing, as soon as he retired, may he rest in peace, nothing was more important to him than his daughters and his children and his family and how, how much joy, because he, he, he missed a lot of that early and obviously in the devotion of his career. And I, I know I'm kind of rambling on this, but oh, I, this I, I think that the bottom line is that, yeah, you know, what you were saying, you, you know, you're great baseball, but there's other things in your life and those things change, you know, as, as you grow and, and mature and you deal with storms, whether they be related to your career or your personal life. And, and everybody has that story, whether you're Kobe Bryant, Joe Montana, you or or me or, or whomever. Yeah, no, I, I loved it. That you didn't ramble at all. I think it's great. I, I, I think that. <laughs> so I don't I hate to get, yeah, yeah. You don't want to get preachy. Right. I mean, I worry about that sometimes kind of like your permission thing with people. Sometimes they're like, I, I'm sorry. I, I don't mean to use all, you know, I'm not telling you how to run your life. I'm just telling you, we want you to enjoy it. As best yeah. You can, kind of but thing. that's the thing though, is that's why I think this is such an intriguing conversation because you've dealt with athletes on every different sport at every different level at the highest level. I mean, that th those are your assignments, the Kobe Bryant's Tom Brady, Joe Montana, you know, Michael Jordan, all these guys, and they all come to the same reality. Yeah, yeah. It does not matter. I yes, I am super famous on the field of play and where I am, but you realize that I go home every night and I don't have that uniform on and I drive home and I have a family to come home to children that look at me as dad, not as Tom Brady or Joe Montana. I have a bride that looks at me as you're my spouse. I'm not a fan person that wants to ask for your autograph. We have a reality that we come back right. to. And yeah. so what happens is for me, I retired at 36. I didn't have my best year in 2015. I had a shoulder, like a scap issue. And that came from a crazy 2014 run, obviously. And my, my arm just didn't bounce back, but I, I felt fine the very next 2016. I probably, I was throwing 300 feet. Like it was, I almost came back. In fact, I actually was asked to think about coming back and right. I had to soon look at it as at some point I have to retire at some yeah. point. It's not easy to retire at 36, but it's not going to be any easier to keep playing and retire at 42. And so my thought was, why did I retire? And it came to my boys. It came, everything came back to, I have three young boys at that time. They're a lot younger than they are. Now I have an amazing ability to be around them in some of their important years of development. And if I keep playing, I keep playing for what I'm not going to be a hall of famer. I'm a, I'm a setup right. man. Like <laughs> there's no setup man. But, in all but, fame. but a very so, valuable, valuable position. Let's yeah, but I want to know, would you have, would you have not to interrupt you? Cause I, yeah, cause no, I know what Tom Brady's going through it. Yeah. If, if, if physically you were still in tip top shape and throwing is, let's just say like Tom Brady at 45 is throwing as well as when he was 25, throwing the football, we, at yeah, least according yeah. to his, if that was all there, Jeremy, would you still, would you still have continued even though you, yes, I know my sons, but they're there. I'll be, I could get another couple more years because this yeah. is what I do. Would that have changed your point of view? Yeah. Very fair question. Actually, Chris, very fair. You flipped the table on me. Now you're interviewing me, but uh, very, very fair. <laughs> Sorry, just, no, no, no. I'm I love it. It's okay. <laughs> I love it. I, that's why I actually enjoy this dialogue. This is very intriguing to me. Yeah. Uh, you know, very fair question. And I really don't know if I have an honest answer. I know yeah. the one thing that I realized I was in San Diego coming back off of rehab because my scap, it wasn't really torn. It was just so it just didn't allow my arm to get up, right? And I throw from up here, right. so I was having to throw from down there, yeah, so my yeah. stuff just wasn't the same. 
And I came back off of rehab and I was brought into the San Diego a game in San Diego. And I literally got mad at a kid. He was probably 23. I don't remember his name at the time at that at the moment right now, but he was all excited to be in the box and he just got called up and he had all these bat <laughs> swings. And, and I almost looked at him like simmer down, dude. Like, and I remember then coming set and thinking, well, I got my, my uh, oldest son is a little game on Saturday. This is while I'm pitching. I'm actually yeah, processing wow. the weekend. Okay. So what my mindset yeah. was, I remember sitting there thinking, I'm not in anymore. Yeah. Like I'm yeah. not, yeah. I'm not, I'm not in. Yeah. I'm mad at a kid for being excited about being in the big leagues. There's something wrong with that. Yes. Yeah. You know, like okay. this kid's got a dream and I'm mad that he's happy. Yes. Like, because it's become oh. after 14 years, it's a job, right? Don't get me wrong. Yes. The playoffs are great, but it's a job. It's and, a job. And, and so it's not as thrilling like that anymore, but I don't know if I was excited to come to the ballpark. And even if I would have been yeah. thrown well, it would all been based on where is my mind at, at the time. And where is, where am I at with my kids? And I think all of that factored into me, even if I was thrown well, yeah, I want, and Buster had that same situation. Buster went out, yeah. he had his best offensive year of his career almost. Right. Yeah. Other than his MVP season. And he still said, he called me and said, I still want to retire. And I was like, then retire. Like, yeah, I was, yeah, I think we were all not, we were surprised on the outside based on what right. he said. Okay, you go through something, but then you're still, you're still producing. And that's what you hear guys say, hey, if I'm, if I'm still, you know, they still want me. And then they also say, and I'm still having fun. And that's the part where I have to having fun. You're still, you know, you know, that kid at heart kind of a thing. But that's if you're thinking about other things. And that's why I just bring it up because Tom Brady, people keep peppering him. But I know I, I, without digging into his personal life, I'm sure with his kids at their age, where they, he's going through that same thing. Because yep. we did a, I did an interview with him last year. Or we did a Zoom for a game. And he said, I hope you guys don't mind. I'm, I'm going to be driving my car to get my kid and take him to practice for basketball. And he, while we're doing the interview on the phone, he's driving and see his kids shooting hoops. And he's like, so he's, I know he's, he's not in a game, but you, Tom Brady is a very focused football player more than oh, any, yeah. almost more than any other. And so this tells you where he is in his life. But I think part of that is we, we transition. So I, I appreciate your answer because I think too, even if you're still good at it, you reach a point where, you know what, I, my mind is somewhere else. Then I, I, you know, then maybe yep. I shouldn't be doing this anymore, you know, That's and, and right. do the next thing and you venture into new things, but that is a little scary, right? I mean, you don't know what's oh. next if you're, well, like, that's, oh, I've had this that's our, that is our biggest, scariest moment, I think. And I think that is, that was scary for, for me, uh, for others, but you know, the guys that I see that have the hardest time transitioning are the guys that made an obnoxiously amount of, I mean, absorbent amount of money in the game. Like you're not so even on the work, right? You're not even on their level. Right. And yeah. I was the guy that fortunate enough, I was a mid reliever setup guy where the money was good for us. than it was five, 10 years prior to that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So I'm in a position where you don't have to work, but you kind of still are okay with working. Cause you don't mind it. Some of these guys have those and. Brady's one of them, right? So it's like I made so much money. Like my biggest fear, and this is what happens. And I'm telling, I've seen it with some of my teammates that have made a lot of incredible amount of money. They don't have to work, but they're like, I want to do something, but I'm I don't doing, necessarily want to yes. take away from my family. But then you wake up and you're like, I don't need to work at all, no matter what. Like if the stock market goes down to making two percent interest on my money, I'm still mm -hmm. a multimillionaire still making two percent right. interest. Like there is nothing telling me to work. 
And so it's really hard to stay driven with a some situation where you can't even consult. You don't want to coach. You're not going to go be a big league pitching coach or hitting coach because now you're away from your family. You're so, back in that same, yeah. And you might yeah. as well have kept playing, right? So for me, it's a very difficult situation. And with Tom, I think it would be a very difficult. It's not about the money for Tom Brady. Like, there is no yeah, way it's no. about the money. It's not about it's, the Hall of Fame yeah. either because he's a shoe yeah, in right. he's the greatest of yeah. all time. But I think it's a – if I had any advice to give someone like that and I'm maybe overstepping my bounds and again, that's why I'm not talking to him because I don't have permission, <laughs> but, but it's when you look at your children and you look at what they mean to you and how you want to develop them into being the greatest human they can possibly be not athlete. I don't care about the athleticism. Yeah. You want to pour, if they want to play sports, then be there for them. But I want to make sure that I can mentor them and be part of the greatest moments in their life when it comes to shaping them into becoming who they want to be. And if you look at statistics, it's usually that 9 to 13 time frame is when they start getting that development. That's when I said I need to stop because Mm -hmm. I just I don't I, I don't need to keep playing and I don't want my kid to be 17 years old or 16 or 18 graduating from high school when I retire and then him be like, awesome, dad, you saw nothing. Because you were yeah. busy playing sport, and I'm not yeah, saying you take we, care we had, of us, but yeah. you didn't need to play, you know. Right. And right. that's and what most, I did not want. Yeah, the most important thing with, with your kids is the shared time, you know, that you have. That's I know as a father, and you know, you could call them and probably have an event. We'll go here on this. When I'm back here, we'll go here. But they want as much of you as they can get on that daily grind whether it's a driving them to school i hear that a lot from athletes now i can drive my kids to school i can pick them up from school how important that is and how invaluable those conversations are and i think too in the non-sports world that uh you know i say this to fans who wonder about how you guys handle retire i said well how how would in your job would you want to retire at 35 or you know i mean tell a housewife retire at 40 what no they're that's their job that's who they are that's part of them they want to do it as long as they can i mean and then i I guess balance it you know you always hear about that everything in moderation you know we, we we get extreme when we're in these professions because we have to you know there's somebody yeah. behind us pushing for our job but we want to be the best we can be and because there's a spotlight on us often and it's not just the it's not just the money it's that you know you're driven i am by the, the sense of accomplishment that's oh, that's and the other it. the other things will, will come and so and maybe that accomplishment has to go into you know being a dad right and, and, you know go to a pizza place after school with your friends and driving in there or spending time as you said doesn't even have to be a sporting event so I, I think that's another part of retirement early. I mean, because, and I forget, it might have been Johnny Carson, a great late night host who was very successful, the best at it for generations, who yeah, said in America, awesome. a man is his job. And I, I, I that, that stuck with me when I was younger, but that's our part of our identity, what you described earlier. My, yeah, I'm also that, but I'm also a dad or a brother. That goes back to what we were saying in the, in the very beginning about how you handle things. So it's a tough thing, but I, it is a common thread. That's what I've discussed, yeah. whether you're a middle, middle reliever or a Hall of Fame quarterback or an yeah. announcer. I wish I had more time with Ben Skiller. The times I interviewed him later at the end, he didn't want to yeah. do much. And you had to respect that, right? Because it's like, sure. I wish I could have talked to him like we're talking here about that decision, right? To finally yeah. retire. Yeah, yeah. Like, hey, no. did you think about it a lot earlier? You know, when you were 60, when you were 70, you know, here's a guy in yeah. his 80s and still enjoying and being very good at what he did. Yeah, and shaping also the thing that we have to go through in it is a valid question and a valid statement in both and but i i think that people are gonna say well wait like you said you wouldn't want to retire from your job at 35 and right. if you yeah, transition too early 
you lose your identity and just being right because you want to keep your brain growing. And I've said that. I said I can only golf and hunt so much. I can't sit there yeah, and golf every right. day. I I got I got to be <laughs> productive. Right. You know. Yes. Yeah. And I've got a little. Job if you... Yeah. You know. And then yeah. I, I look at my boys and I'm like. The reason why I work and I started a brewery and I come here and do podcasting and I bring them to work with me. We're a family friendly brewery of games out back. Like we want kids here. I want them knowing that I'm doing this. I, I leave to speak, uh, to still speak. And because I look at them and I say, listen, money does not grow on trees. And I retired early enough to help spend more time than an average man gets. So I actually am thankful for that because yeah. most men don't get yeah. to spend this much time with their children. They just don't, they can't, right. it's not, it's not, they it's don't. not even feasible. Yeah. They're working too hard. Yeah, that's right. They're trying to provide food. Right. And so I get to do that. But I, all the scary thing is, is that you guys think that I wake up every day and there's just money and there's just bills paid. <laughs> that's not life. Right. So I need, <laughs> I right. actually want you yeah. to see me work. I want to have yeah. a work habit. So you see, and so that and hence with, with Tom Brady, Hey, at 45, my kids might be a little older or wherever they're at, but they're seeing me work for a living. I'm not just sitting around yeah. and that's setting, super yeah, important setting. too. You know, that is yeah. super yeah. important in the back of your head. Like that goes into factoring in those situations as well. And uh, I just wanted to make my own schedule. I always wanted to work. I just wanted to be able to, provide but then also be able to be like for me i'll feel guilty right now i'm missing my son's uh football game on thursday and he's a freshman in high school he's on jv and i literally have to go speak buddy i'm super sorry he's like totally cool dad but it's not cool for me i want to yeah. see it like i and yeah. so i yeah. battle with that because i can and so if i don't set my schedule right my guilt and shame sometimes comes from the fact that I'm mismanaging my time management schedule based on the fact that I should have set that date different. Right. And so I'm dealing with, those are some of what I deal with in my head when he's probably fine with it, but I'm not. And those are the K. I mean, <laughs> it, it's, it's crazy. You can't win for losing. Sometimes, you know, you're, yeah. you don't work, you retire so you can raise your kids and then you don't manage right. And then you're actually not there for an event. And you're just like, ah, yeah. But you're, but I think that they they see and you're setting a good example. I mean, and they do model, you know, what, what you do with it, even though we can tell them to do one thing, they kind of watch us and say, okay, so you, I saw you did this, this speaking thing, you were committed here, but you're at the next one or you're around now, or you're not going on these, these 10 day or two week road trips kind of thing. And the other thing I want to make about, we talk about people retiring at an early age, we're also in, it's the old expression and I heard it when I was younger and I, you follow your passion. If you could afford to do that, some people have, have not been as fortunate as we have to, you know, if you love what you do, you know, your job, then you never work a, a day in your life. You know, you, yeah. you know that you do work hard and all that, but we were fortunate enough because, you know, we like, I'm thinking of somebody who doesn't like their job, who financially isn't, isn't well off. So, and they have family, they have no choice in the matter, right? They yeah. have to keep going. So that's why some of the people are there, oh, well, if I could retire at 35, I would. Well, that's somebody who probably doesn't like their job and what, and what they're doing. Yeah. So point. if you, if you, yeah, if you could start that path early, you're better off. Maybe even if you don't make as much money, but if you enjoy what you do, I think, you know, the rewards come eventually. And ultimately, I think you're happier because you'll want to do it longer. You'll think about it more and, and you'll be in a position to make choices like you or some of the professional athletes or people who've done well in other business who can retire yeah. at a young age and then open a brewery or open a restaurant or, 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 or do things that they want to do, help with charity groups that, that, that you know, it, it takes their time up, but also they feel like they're accomplishing something. Yeah. Yeah. The good point, Chris, man, I've really enjoyed 
I know I've kept yeah, you a little sorry. longer than I wanted to, but uh, yeah, we got all but, fun to uh, talk about. But I'll tell you <laughs> what, like I had, there was a couple more storms to even talk about, but I didn't have to get to yeah. them because I really feel like this was just a really good. Yeah, this, this is why I like right podcasts. We yeah. just like we. I love these kind yeah. of things because it's it's a fireside chat, and I learn a ton right. from this. I've learned a lot from you. I, I've learned. Thank you for some of your stories, man. This is great. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I think I think this is exactly what I was looking for uh, when when I knew I got to have a chat with you, and I just I wanted to go down the right path. And I'll be honest with you, I never know. I never know what path yeah. I go down. I just kind of well, let it organically you know, take place. I, I like, so. Yeah, you know, I like that you were a conversationalist. It wasn't like here answer this question, answer that question. We didn't even get to OJ Simpson or being there. I know the Olympic bombing, but we'll <laughs> save that for next. Yeah, we'll yeah, have yeah. A part two at some point. I yeah, really think we should. Of, this has been you, great. Uh, it's been great. Yeah. Well, the things you had, yeah, you know, things you had me talk about have brought up things that I haven't really even thought about in years. So that's what you like yeah. about these things and the free flowing conversation. I often joke that there are more podcasts in our world than there are people, but some of them yeah. are good ones and they separate. And that's the, that's the value of this. It's as if we were sitting and having time talking, we weren't you know, taking a commercial break or, or rushing off. So yeah, but thanks yeah. for having me on and I'm glad you're doing well. Oh, and, thank uh, you. you know, we'll, we'll chat. <clears throat> we'll chat again anytime. Yeah, for sure, man. Thank you again, Chris. I really appreciate it, man. This, this was great. This is great. Enjoy. So thanks for coming it. on the podcast. You got it. You've been dialed into the Built for the Storm podcast with Jeremy Affel. And he strikes out. That's four straight for Affel. Can't do it any better than Jeremy Affel. If you like what you heard, please like, rate, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts and Spotify today. Jeremy Affel here for Free Roam Brewing Company. Do you enjoy craft beer? I do. So I started Free Roam Brewing Company. Our logo, environment, and community all reflect the mighty buffalo, a creature built for the storm. It symbolizes inner strength, perseverance, and a love of freedom. Here at Free Roam Brewing Company, we are determined to strengthen our community through the love of craft beer. Our premium quality lagers and ales reflect the diverse experiences and tastes of our community. In a boundless world of potential beer styles, we cherish the freedom to roam. So if you're in the Bernie area, whether local or passing through, join us on Main Street and enjoy your freedom. Jeremy Affel here for the Hotel Via. I know you've heard it's at the intersection of sports, technology, and entertainment. But for me, it's my home away from home when I visit San Francisco. I can give you 50 great reasons why I chose Hotel Via, but it's easier for me to say it provides all the comforts of home, family owned and operated, and of course it's across from the beautiful Oracle Park. So when you're coming to San Francisco for business, pleasure, vacation, or just coming to a sporting event, check in to the Hotel Via.